SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. I can't yell right now because I'll get fired. My boss will hear me, and then I won't be able to pay off my student loans. But you know what? You're an asshole. I fucking hate you. I bought all your records. This whole fucking time I've been trying to get you to come hang out with me. I'm going to have people fuck with your food the rest of your trip. You fucking dick. I like him. That's quite moving. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of us that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. And we're kicking off a look at a duology of comedy films, With uh, starting off with this episode, focusing on Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, the spinoff of this, uh, which we'll cover next week, is Take Him to the Greek. Get Him to the Greek. With the spinoff. Get, I'm sorry. Get Him to the Greek. I always get that messed up. But you, that's a Thrasher. The difference between get and take. That's Thrasher you just heard. I'm Matt. And uh, you can check out our website at SequelCast. Dot com. The lovely theme song you just heard is uh, written and performed by Mark with the C, and the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out the sequel cast and Battleship Pretension and all sorts of great film and TV podcasts that are part of the fleet at battleshippretension.com. And you can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. So forgetting Sarah Marshall, you know, it's... Uh, when did you first see this film, Thrasher? Uh... I don't remember exactly when, but it was a it was a, a year or two ago. I didn't see it in the theaters when it came out. I caught it on cable later. Uh, but I really wish I had seen it in the theaters. Yeah, I did not catch it in theaters either. I, I rented it and I found at the time, you know, surprisingly better than expected. Uh, the movie is uh, written and stars Jason Siegel. Who I recognized him from the TV show Freaks and Geeks and also Undeclared. Do you ever see those shows? No, no, I didn't. Uh, so those were TV shows that had a lot of famous future stars, not just Jason Segel, but also Seth Rogen. kind of got his start on um, Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. And also uh, Jay Baruchel, who did the voice of the lead in um, How to Train Your Dragon, and he uh, co-wrote and co-starred in a, in a recent hockey movie called Goon. He got to start in Undeclared, and um, I forget if Judd Apatow was a producer of I that show or not. I think I think he was, yeah. And Judd Apatow, it should be mentioned, was a producer of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but this is directed by Nicholas Stoller, and other things uh, this same director did. Um, you know, this was his directorial feature film debut, but since then he... Um, was a co-writer on The Muppets, which we covered along with all the other Muppet films in earlier episodes of the sequel cast. You can check him out at sequelcast.com. And uh, he's also going to be a writer on the sequel to that. So, uh, an uh, early thing he did was he wrote the Jim Carrey comedy Yes Man, the director of this, Nicholas Dollar. Did you ever see that one? No, no, I didn't. Like, I like, I, I love the premise that yeah. the guy just chooses to say yes. There's no magic or uh-huh. hypnotism or anything crazy involved. But, I, 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 but didn't that come out the same time as Iron Man? It did, and I, 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 think... I, I hate to ruin the movie, but I will say, it, there. I don't know if you'd call it like uh, magic realism or something. But there is something that happens that makes him say yes all the time. Really? He doesn't just make the choice? Yes. He goes to a, a seminar where that's the theory this guy is espousing, and the, the guy doing the seminar is played by Terrence Stamp, who's a really great actor and very funny in the scene. And he he does something like lay a hand on Jim Carrey's forehead. Oh, damn and, it. Uh, now I don't have it. Now I don't want to see that movie. 
it, it's all right. It has some good scenes. It's not as good as Liar Liar, which had sort of a similar premise. But this is not the Jim Carrey cast. This is the sequel cast. Let's talk about Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It will be the uh, Jim Carrey cast when we get around to doing the Ace Ventura trilogy. Yeah, or uh, Dumb and Dumber if they actually make... <laughs> oh, and there's already one sequel, but they're planning on doing a real sequel with uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> a canon sequel. The original sequel wasn't canon. That's basically Good true, Lord. yeah. But but forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, one thing I like to point out is this film is 110 minutes long, which is very long for a romantic comedy. Because it does go on. Yeah, I, I think pacing is an issue with it. And But one thing that sticks out in my mind is the cinematography by uh, Russ uh, Alsobrook is uh, fantastic. And a lot of this film takes place in Hawaii, and it just uh, it looks gorgeous. And I, I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii, specifically the island of Maui, on my honeymoon, although this was not filmed on the island of Maui. And uh, as beautiful as Hawaii is in the pictures, in person, it's just like a thousand times more beautiful. It's. Uh... Did you like the, the scenery in yes, the film? Yes, I did. Uh, I've seen, I have now seen several romantic comedies, and a lot of them are just filmed in a very lazy, let's just get something up on the screen fashion. Some real care has been taken with each shot uh, in this film, both to look good and to bring out the, the comic possibilities of the scene. Although one thing that that really did struck me, it takes place in, in, uh, in or on the island of Oahu, and most of it is on or inside or around this one hotel. <laughs> Like they don't they don't waste time yeah. going to exotic locales within the exotic uh, locale. They don't, and I think some of this might have been budget. the The budget for this was thirty million, but worldwide it grossed uh, a little bit over a hundred million dollars, which is a pretty good return on the investment. Okay. And when you subtract out marketing and all those costs, and I think, yeah, part I think the setting, as you said, Thrasher, is visually arresting. You look at so many other romantic comedies, they're almost, you know, take place in New York City, or they, they're filmed in Vancouver or something, and it's supposed to be New York City. And so you get these kind of drab, gray, urban environments. You don't really... And so visually, it tends to be very, very repetitive, uh, for the most part. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, it, the beginning and the end uh, don't take place in... Um, Oahu, but the rest of it does, and it's a great asset to the film. Well, I guess uh, one other uh, thing about that is that it's Hawaii. It's, it should be the most romantic, most exciting place in the world, and we get to see people being thoroughly miserable there, and that's a, a contrast I love. Right. In fact, one of the posters for the film uh, says it's the ultimate romantic disaster movie. <laughs> I love that. So, And that's not a quote from a critic. That's just what they... What the marketing team came up with. I really like that. So, with Forgetting Sarah Marshall, you know, it's produced by Judd Apatow. I think of Judd Apatow directed films like 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up. And uh, Apatow's certainly not just directed, but produced a lot of romantic comedies since then. And he his films that he tends to work on do a combination of sort of gross-out humor, but they also have characters with actual personalities that have uh, character arcs. That they 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 do, they do a blend of the comedic and the serious. Well, I how do you define gross out humor? Well, in forgetting Sarah Marshall, you see a full frontal shot of uh, Jason Segel's penis within the first that's five minutes. That's not gross out. That's beautiful. Yeah. So you think uh, Jason Segel has quite the? Uh, well, no. The way the thing quite is quite the attractive it's penis. It's a very honest. Very. It's a very honest scene, and just the very fact that Segel's willing to commit. To, to full frontal nudity, which you just don't see from guys in movies. You know, it it really makes that scene important. I think, like that, you if you're if you're grossed out by that scene, then there's something wrong with you, not the scene. I mean, that's your opinion, Jason Segel. I mean, it's certainly a, a brave thing for an actor to do. Uh, Jason Segel does not have a a chiseled, hairless physique. Well, that's what I mean. It's it's honest. Most of us look like that naked. Yes, sure. No, no, you're right. That's that's a really good point. I never thought about that. And it's uh, it's funny because it's a joke they come back to later in the film. And you know, consequently, I could. Oh wait, no. Are there are there tits in this movie? I think there are. There are breasts. 
um, brief. You see some nippleage in there? I, I think, yeah, very, very, very brief. But thank you, cell phone, for making a noise or I'm recording a show. You're oh, welcome. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome, Dave. I, I mean, Matt. Would you like me to tell you when it's 7.30? Forgetting Sarah Marshall? I can never forget Sarah Marshall. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. So, with the beginning of this film, it begins with uh, a breakup, and he goes on a vacation where it just happens to be where his... Oh, no, no, not just a his... breakup. Oh, Probably no. Probably the most realistically depicted breakup on film. There's a lot of awkward silences, uh, which make it realistic. And you know, uh, as a re- I can't, I don't know the name of the song, but a recent song has the lyric, "When a heart breaks, it it don't break even," and meaning that you know, when a, a couple breaks up, usually one person is more invested than the other, and it hurts one person more. And uh, you feel bad for Jason Siegel. Oh, he man. seems like a nice guy. He eats a bowl of cereal. He eats a box of cereal at a time. Out of a gigantic, uh, you know, like bowl that you'd usually mixing put popcorn bowl, in, yeah. mixing well, bowl. Yeah, you, you'd mix cookie something dough. Something I in. love about this movie is we we get to see a real post breakup depression. Yes, uh, you know, depression is a really good word for it. And the things he finds out as as it goes on, it's not. Just he has a suspicion, you know, then she did, that he's being cheated on, then she denies it, then she admits it. And it's nice, even before that, in the beginning of the film, you're sort of introduced to uh, the character of uh, his girlfriend, who's Sarah Marshall, played by Kristen Bell, and uh, the character of Aldous Snow, played by Russell Brand. And that character, Aldous Snow, later gets the spinoff movie, which we'll talk about next week, Get Him to the Greek. Wait, I messed up on the title again. Take Him to no, the Greek. No, Get Him to the Greek. You got it right that time. Ah! Dyslexia for cure found, as they said in wrongfully accused. So well, the thing is, like, I lo- I like. But you get the exposition like in an Entertainment Tonight style oh, segment. Oh yeah, yeah. So we get it's Which a nice. it's a very entertaining. Uh, it's it's exposition done well because it's the information you need is presented in a very entertaining way, and we get some just spot on TV parodies. Because Sarah Marshall is the star of a uh, investigative drama called <laughs> yeah. Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime, with the Stephen Baldwin, yep. right, as her as her sidekick. Yeah. And I mean the the way the music is done and the uh, job that Jason Segel's character, uh, whose character's name is Peter Bretter in this film, has as a composer for the film. But the way the show is portrayed uh, on Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime is not that different than how those actual shows no, are. The, it's not that thing. exaggerated. Like, there's nothing, like, there's no, there's no, like, joke when they show clips of crime scene scene of the crime. The, it's, the, the dialogue and the action is 95% what you would get on that kind of show with just enough of a, like, just enough of a turn to the audience that, that you know, you, you realize the absurdity of what the networks have been trying to pass off as entertainment since the uh, early 2000s. And it has this like eye-rolling dialogue in those uh, scenes of clips from the show on purpose. I mean, I almost want to see a movie just about crime scene, scene of the crime. Yes. Like, crime scene, scene of the crime, the movie, with that same cast, I think would be very funny. And at the end credits, they do a very funny joke along those same lines with sort of a a supernatural animal oh, element. Yeah. But the uh that, but, that's uh, very good. But Jason Siegel, his his job on the show is he's he's the composer, but as as he says, he doesn't compose anything. He just generates these boring tones to to underline the non-action. But that leads uh to one of the funniest scenes where after the breakup, he's got to do the score for, uh, he, he's got to do the music for, for a scene from the show, and he's watching, you know, Sarah Marshall and Baldwin up on the screen, and instead of doing the normal, <laughs> yeah. like, monotone, durr, durr, that the show usually has, he starts, like, punching it up with the theme from Seinfeld. It's yeah, fucking genius. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Later on, you know, there's a scene where he's he's going through his depression, and He's drunk and he plays on the piano and sings along with a, a cover of the Muppet. Oh show yeah, when he's song. in the hotel with the piano, it's time to play yeah. the music. It's time. To <laughs> play. Yeah, 
And, you know, as it turns out later, as we discussed a while ago in Sequel Cast, Jason Segel was uh, one of the writers and stars of the recent Muppet <laughs> film, a sort of a reboot of that whole series of characters. So, um, and in fact, it's the involvement in this film. They use the, the Jim Henson, uh, Jim Henson's company. Is it just called the Jim Henson uh, the company? Shop. I'm trying to think what it's called. The Creature Shop, that's right. Uh, doing the, his, uh, Jason Segel's character in the film also has an obsession with trying to develop a uh, musical based on the novel uh, Dracula by Bram Stoker. Uh, and that's just an absurd. I don't know if I'd call it a rock musical, no, no, it but rock it's more of like an Andrew Lloyd, a, a Dracula puppet rock opera. <laughs> yeah, and you get to see that performed at the end of the film with these uh, Muppets made by the Creature Shop, and it's a, uh, it, it's just real fun, fun to see all that. Well, it's it's a good too. payoff for when because that, that's a thread that kind of is brought up about about was it like a third of the way through the movie when he mentions to Mila Kunis that he had. His like sort of dream project was a Dracula puppet rock opera. Yeah, but and you know it wouldn't be a romantic comedy. He's trying to get over the breakup, but while he's on vacation, he bumps into. Well, no, he's not just he on vacation. The uh... oh wait, no, I'm sorry, that revelation doesn't happen later. But yeah, he takes some time off and he goes to Hawaii. And unfortunately, well, the show is on hiatus, and unfortunately, it turns out that Sarah Marshall and uh, Snow are staying, not only are they at at Hawaii having a fling, they're also staying in the same hotel. So what do you think of Russell Brand? I mean, Forgetting Sarah Marshall was the first real main film that introduced him to uh, U.S. audiences. No, I think he's fantastic. He, I mean, he, he, he does a perfect, like, British rock star, but that's because he's a British rock star comedian. It's just instead yes. of music, he he tells jokes. And I was I was a little bit familiar with well, not familiar with Russell Brand, but I had heard of him uh, before he okay. had shown up in this movie. But that was only because I listened to a lot of uh, you can get a lot of BBC radio content digitally streaming now, and uh, BBC Seven, yep. yeah. which I think they've renamed BBC Four Digital or something like that, uh, or BBC hmm. Four Online. His material would sometimes show up in their comedy block, so I, I had heard bits and pieces of it, and and yeah, he he's just like he's he, he's either he's like either a comedian that identifies as a rock star or a rock star that identifies as a comedian, but it's perfect. Well, and he has a really good singing voice on top of that. So when he performs, you know, some of the Alu Snow uh, is that pop songs? It's is act- that him? Singing? It's actually him singing. Oh. Yes. And he um, sang several songs in the recent uh, movie musical Rock of the Ages. Oh. And while the movie isn't good, he's pretty good in it. I think sometimes Russell Brand can be annoying as a host of things. He's hosted like the MTV Movie Awards a few times. And it's I think it's tricky because of the audience he's playing to. Because as is the tradition with British humor, a lot of it's not necessarily physical. A lot of it's verbal. A lot of it's very subtle. And uh, you're hosting an MTV Movie Awards. That's not necessarily the the best crowd for that. So he doesn't he doesn't get a lot of as much laughter from the audience as uh, well, as I you think, might expect from like a Johnny Knoxville well, I think or something. What it is is he's not trying to please the audience. He's trying to take the audience no. for a ride. And if that's and exactly if you it. don't want to get on that sure. ride, you're going to be fucking run over. Yeah, but as far as like movies with him starring in it, I don't think there's been one that's been a huge hit. He was in a remake of uh, Arthur, the original one, you know, starring Dudley Moore, that didn't quite pop as uh, they wanted, as uh, you know, I'm sure the producers all wanted it to. Actually, he was but great I, I, in Despicable Me, and I love that he does a real voice. Oh, okay, that's uh, one of the. Was that a DreamWorks? No, Sony uh, cartoon. I, th- I don't. That one? I thought it was DreamWorks. Maybe I'm wrong. It but, might be DreamWorks. Yeah, he played he played the uh, he played the mad scientist that worked for Gru, the supervillain. But he did like an actual character voice. Uh, in fact, most most people I know who know Russell Brand and saw that movie didn't know that was him. Because you know, yeah, he also did a voice in another cartoon as the lead bunny in oh, Hop, yeah. which is part live action, part uh, animated. And again, he's actually acting in that. He's not just Russell Brand inhabiting a bunny. He's crafted a persona right, and right. performance for the bunny. So, we, so we've talked about about Russell Brand, some of the cast here and forgetting Sarah Marshall, and uh, you know another big character in the film is Rachel, the hotel concierge played by Mila Kunis. Uh, do you like Mila Kunis in this? And what do you think of her 
and the character compared to Kristen Bell's character of the titular Sarah Marshall. Well, I I really liked Mila Kunis, Kunis in this because she seems to be she seems to be acting, but it's a very natural performance. She's playing a real person. Yeah. Uh, I you know she she plays she's very heightened on she was very heightened on that '70s show. She is heightened on uh, Family Guy. But here she's she's playing a real person like a real person, and it's I would like to see her do more of this. If she could get more roles like that, I think I'd see a lot more of her movies. Yeah, there's a lot of her stuff I, I haven't seen. I do watch a, a fair bit of Family Guy, and it really threw me off watching this film because I it's like, oh wait, that's Meg talking, and I'll close my eyes and see the cartoon character she plays. But I think on Family Guy, the character of Meg, uh, the um, the daughter, the daughter of the family, that really gets a lot of the, the brunt of the jokes um, is sort of more subtle. It's not as flamboyant as some of the other characters. And, uh, but yeah, no, she has, she comes across, you know, much like Jason Siegel as looking like a regular everyday person, not, you know, a hundred percent knockout, knockout looks, but still sexy in their own way. And uh, you can tell it, she just seems like a girl that really likes to have fun. And I think Kristen Bell is Sarah Marshall is okay, but it's also sort of a kind of a character that you're sort of made to sort of hate or get annoyed with. Oh, I, I think never, I I never I never hated her, but I did I did feel like she didn't uh, she she didn't treat uh, excuse me she didn't treat Jason Siegel fairly. And I think that the character of Sarah Marshall is almost a little bit more of a caricature, and it, it's really hard um, for her, you know. Kristen Bell playing a romantic uh, part of a couple opposite of Russell Brand, and Russell Brand is has such a such a magnetism to him and all these things, such a big force of energy. It's it's difficult to compete with that. Uh, so I mean, out of all this stuff in Hawaii, uh, in the film, you get a lot of cameos from uh, other actors, and I wanted to bring up this story. I so I rented a copy of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. From a local uh, video rental store in Portland, yes. Oregon, called Movie Mat called Movie Madness, and uh, a really great place to visit if you're ever in the Portland area. I should have taken you here, Thrasher, when you were in I'd town. Love to check it out. I love a, local. A few stores. years ago, for my wedding. Well, and this one's really cool because the owner, Mike Clark, uh, has all sorts of props and costumes from movies that he has on display, like costumes from Austin Powers and um, some like it hot and all these sort of things. But uh, the way it's organized in there, it's not by genre necessarily. It's either organized, the films are organized by director or by actor, or if it's TV shows, it's by decades typically, or even by country in some cases. So it can be kind of tricky to find something. So with that in mind, forgetting Sarah Marshall, guess what section this was in? A documentary. No, it was in the Paul Rudd section. (laughs) I found... I find that bizarre. There wasn't a Jason Siegel section. There was a section uh, in the director's section called Judd Apatow and Friends, which it would have made sense for it to be in, but it wasn't in there. Interesting. In Paul Rudd, who has a very funny uh, supporting part in here as a surfboard instructor. Oh, God, yeah. Have you ever been surfboarding? No, no, I never have, which is a real shame. It's something I'd love to do. Me neither. My balance is terrible. Uh even when I'm walking, I'll tend to trip over things. Uh, I've done boogie boarding, of course. And I've done... Um, I've done snorkeling. And I've done jet skiing. Before. Or in the water skiing, I'm sorry. Or in the water skis. Not driving the jet ski. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's... it's And again, the the visuals are just very pretty when they're learning how to when he's trying to learn how to surf and he's doing all these different things. So what, we talked earlier about that the movie is pretty long as a romantic comedy. Uh, what do you think about the pacing and forgetting Sarah well, Marshall? Really? It's, it, it, it doesn't, there's, there's um, until the second half, there really isn't much of a narrative. Yeah. It really is just sort of scenes that Jason Siegel is, is go, is moving through as he works through his, his post breakup depression. And so it's, uh, 
there's sort of there's the drinking half of the film, and then there's the sober half of the film. <laughs> and the yeah. the most sort of drifty, let's do funny scenes is the drinking part of the film, which I think is appropriate. But the closer you get towards sure. the end, the more the story really starts to ramp up, and and characters start showing more of their arc, and more uh, very important events start to happen. So it really it really and is you kind of get two two different movies depending on where you are in this film. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Between us, we're as old as four RPG protagonists. And now Alex will give us a funny anagram for the name of the show. Uh, big old knockers. Uh. Join us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Here at Chat of the Wild, our game club podcast, we have been using our lens of truth to do deep dives on the Legend of Zelda series, in order, covering one to two dungeons each episode. Our show also looks at Zelda-likes, such as Crusader of Senti, Golden Axe Warrior, and the bizarre journey of For the Frog the Bell Tolls. Join us right now as we play Ari and the Secret of Seasons, our first new release since Season 1. Or check out our past seasons breaking down nearly 20 action-adventure titles. New episodes drop every Wednesday, here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. And when it starts to... When the characters start to, you know, complete their arc more in the latter half of the film... Did you think it was effective? Do you think it was cheesy? No, I didn't or... think it was cheesy. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I liked, I liked seeing everyone. Uh, I liked seeing everyone move, like, move through their arcs. I guess the the only snag is uh, knowing that Dracula, pu- rock and roll Dracula puppets are coming. There is a point towards the end where I just want them to get to the puppets. And when the puppets come, I really wanted to see more of the puppet musical. I don't know. I kind of think we saw exactly <laughs> no? the right amount because we already get because like, yeah. when, when Mila Kunis has uh, has Siegel play one of the songs live at the at the the, the bar. That's a really good section. Yeah. I, I it's good that we get that song. It's good that we get some jokes in it. But I I frankly don't as cool as those puppets are. I don't want to see any more of the puppets unless that's going to be the whole movie. You know, mm. this isn't there. This is Jason yeah, Segel's sure. movie. It's not the Dracula puppet movie. And if you linger that on it too really long, it stops point. being awesome and starts being something that's taking up too much time. I liked when they did the Dracula puppet rock opera at the end. It's done in the uh, Japanese bunraku style, meaning that the puppeteers are all dressed in black, uh, moving the Muppets around. Yeah. And by doing that, if you watch that for long enough, and I've had the chance to see that done in person a few times when I was in school, uh, you you tend to for, because they're all dressed in black. Um, they don't paint their face black, but you know the, the puppeteers are all dressed in black latex. Your your mind just sort of blocks them out, and it feels like you're watching the puppets floating and talking. Well, it's a really well, neat then, in, in, effect. Uh, I've seen Avenue Q uh, uh, when Mary Faber. Oh, was okay. Cast. And oh, fun! What they, okay. what they did in New York or part of the touring production? Uh, no, no, this was this was the Broadway production. Well, cause, oh, okay. Cause they they had done like a Vegas production, and that wrapped pretty yes. easy. But then, like the people from the Vegas cast that stayed, they merged them with the Broadway cast. That's how Mary Faber got into it. Uh, who's my cousin? What what? Uh, anyway. Uh, so, so, but, but the way the way they do it is that they just have the puppeteers wear very basic uh, colors that don't clash or compete with the colors on the puppets, and I think and I think that's just as effective because mm. because that does two things. Because if you want to tune them out, it's so easy to tune them out. But if you want to really appreciate the art of the puppetry, you can keep you can watch them as much as you're watching the puppets. I, mean, I don't think any particular one is superior, and I think it's the better comedy choice to go with the black suits and forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, I think also it makes you sort of bind to that moment a bit more. It's always tricky in movies when they film things that are like a play or something that's going on on a stage. Because as an audience member watching a play in real life, you know, you're watching it from a static angle the entire time, unless you change your seats or something halfway through the I show. I do. You do that? No, I just, I'm just oh. I'm pretending that I'm rude at a theater. But no, I don't do that. That That's that's against theater code. It is. You know, it's not like a rock concert where sometimes up front there's free space and everyone kind of moshes towards the front. That's a totally different Man, thing. were you in the mosh pit at Phantom? I wasn't in the mosh pit at Phantom, but I was in the mosh pit at the Weird Al Yankovic concert in in 94 for the Bad Hair Day album. So, so we're uh, watching was... Les Mis, right? 
and Cooter, he totally jumps on the stage, man. And Jean Valjean decks him, and he falls back into the pit, man. And we fucking catch him, man, and he's just, like, riding those people. And then Marius, is that the one where Marius went on stage and said, uh, do you hear the assholes come on stage? Coming on stage and being a dick. And he kicked him in the stomach, too. It was, it was quite the... Quite the we got to bring these two okay. characters back. we got to bring the uh, Broadway metalheads yeah. back on the show sometime. Yeah, that, that'd be good. For the, one of our Lawn in the Works comedy hey, albums. What's your favorite piece uh, of just general comedy business in this movie? That's a, that's a good question, Thrasher. General comedy business in Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Huh. I really like the scene where... Uh, Jason Siegel and Russell Brand are out surfboarding. Russell Brand gets in an accident. Jason Siegel kind of saves his life, but there's a bit of coral stuck in his leg, and there's a lot of bleeding. And Jason Siegel, you know, pulls it out and then faints because of the bleeding. <laughs> I, I just think that's a real funny bit of business, and it kind of happens, you know, right after they're sort of fighting, where Jason the Jason Siegel's character Peter is jealous of uh, Aldous Snow for having cheated uh, on Sarah, you know, when they were together, cheated with uh, Sarah Marshall for a whole year during their relationship. Uh, I, I, just, I just think that's a real funny bill from sort of dramatic to saving someone's life to funny to dramatic yeah. again. I think that's one of the better scenes. What about you? What's one that you, sticks out you? know to what you? I really like? I really like uh, Jack McBrayer's story arc where, you know, he, uh, you know, yeah. he, he and his wife are, are in Hawaii on their sure. honeymoon, but the sex just yep. isn't working and he's like, really seems to be weirded out by the very idea of sex and it all culminates with that really awesome montage where, where he and Russell Brand are on the giant <laughs> uh, chessboard yeah. kind of explaining he's how trying to, to give him to a woman. <laughs> Techniques, and I just I, I thought that was a that was a great a great thing. <laughs> it culminated in a really great scene. Yeah, it was very <laughs> just to see um, Jack. What's his name? Shit. I'm oh, it's uh, Jack McBriar. Uh, that's it, Jack McBriar. Just sort of complaining about about uh, honeymoon sex and whatever. He comes across as as a virgin or, or certainly not very experienced. And just the, the questions he's asking are really awkward. Some of that humor reminded me, I think, of some of the scenes in uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin where Steve Carell describes uh, feeling a woman's breast as feeling sand, like a feeling sandbags. Yeah. A bag of sand, yeah. So uh, that's all pretty good. Well, I think before we give our final verdict where we rate uh, for getting Sarah Marshall out of five stars, we should take a, a break to talk about some of our uh, sponsors and some of our other oh. shows. So if you go to SequelCast.com, you can see all sort of our social media links to our Facebook page, to our Twitter account, to our links on uh, iTunes and everything. And in addition, you can have the great opportunity to buy SequelCast uh, merchandise like mouse pads, beer steins, t-shirts, all sorts of fun stuff. And not only that, if, if you like the show and want to help us out, you can donate via PayPal. We have links to that. If you, if you like buying movies or anything off of Amazon.com, you can click our Amazon.com links and uh, you know uh, before you, you purchase something, and uh, we get a cut of that. Every little bit helps the show. And uh, have you heard about something called Stitcher, Thrasher? I believe I've heard about that on this very show. Well, what is Stitcher? Well, it's an app that lets you stream podcasts on your mobile device. No more storage. Just stream it off of Stitcher. Did you say no more storage? Yes, it uses clouds or something. Stitcher uses clouds or something, and I, I've heard SequelCast is on there too, isn't it? Yes, it is, as are our other SequelCast shows that we like to listen to. Stranger. Howdy, stranger. Uh, and, you know, if you like SequelCast, you might want to listen to our sister shows, too. You can check out Sequel Commentary is a bi-weekly show in which we do uh, full-length audio commentaries for sequels or cult films. And uh, SequelCast Special is sort of a more loose format show where we talk about things usually somewhat related to sequels. It could be 
like a, an anniversary of the sequel cast. It could be about a film director. It could be about current news. We recently did a great sequel cast special about Disney buying uh, Star Wars, Lucasfilm, and all the LucasArts, all the Lucas companies. Uh, that was pretty cool. And you can check all those out at uh, SequelCast.com. Or if you want to contact us and uh, say how much you love the show, you can. a great place to do that is our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. My, my. Is there any plugging I'm missing? I don't think I... I think I covered uh, everything. Donate and use our Amazon affiliate link. Excellent. Very good. So... We're starving, peoples. Soylent Green is people... No, uh... Back to forgetting Sarah Marshall. Let's uh, let, let's rate this movie. One, two, three, four, four. Rate it. I'll begin out of five stars. I give forgetting Sarah Marshall. Gee, I think I give it a four out of five stars. I am usually not a big fan of the romantic comedy genre, but this one is funny and sort of quirky enough. Plus, with the gorgeous scenery. And uh, especially Russell Brand's real uh, comedic performance. It reminds me in some ways of sort of the uh, early funny Woody Allen pictures, as some people might call them. <laughs> and then I think it does a good blend of the serious and dramatic, much like Woody Allen's film uh, Annie Hall. I give Forgetting Sarah Marshall four out of five stars. Uh, I'm gonna go give it. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give it four and a half. It's one of the few truly good uh, romantic comedies. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the only thing that really slows it down is the pacing does get a little awkward towards the end. Uh, and the, ver- uh, I've seen both, I, I've seen a cable version and an unrated version of this movie. And I believe I've seen Ooh, okay. one other version. Cause I don't think like, I don't, every time I've seen it, I feel like I'm seeing a different cut of the film with different scenes hmm. and sometimes different dialogue. And I really wish there was a definitive version of this movie. That is really confusing where on a lot of the uh, the DVD and Blu-ray versions of a film now, you don't see director's cut very much, but you do see the phrase, uh, you know, like unrated cut. And it's like, well, what does that even mean? Which one, which movie should I watch? Which version of the movie counts, so to speak? And uh, not to mention, as you said, all the censorship uh, when you watch it on TV. Uh, I wonder how they cover the whole thing of Jason Siegel's penis in the start of the film when you watch it on the I table. don't know, but I just Is... noticed that uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall was nominated for five Teen Choice Awards. Um, most unforgettable penis? No, no most actually. memorable penis. Uh, Jason, penis Jason of the Siegel year. is only nominated for uh, Breakout Male. And I guess his penis did break out of his huh. pants in that scene. Yeah. Uh, oh, so it did not win any. It did not win any awards in the 2018 Choice Awards. Regrettably, the coveted team. But Choice it, awards. have we been nominated for that? No, no, I don't think uh, podcasts are eligible for Teen Choice Awards, although they might be. That's a uh, that's a really good we point. Do our own award um, show. There is a podcast award show, but they um, that's a topic for another time. Oh, actually, one thing I did want to uh, to, to touch on the uh, that uh, bar where they're often hanging out. Uh, there's that uh, band. I think it's the Coconuts. Yes. is the the band that's often playing in the background. Did you catch some of the songs they were singing? I did. It was very clever. I think more than words. Yeah, they did a Hawaiian uh, language. Might have been cover a song they did. More than words. Apparently, yes. they also did these boots are made for walking. They also huh. did a cover of the song by uh, Morris Day and the Times that we talked about on the Jane Sell and Bob Strike Back episode. Jungle yeah, Love. Yeah, Jungle Love in Hawaiian. It's amazing. It, it like it, I was. I just the smile I got when I when I realized that's what they were playing. It just blew my face apart. I'll have to. Um... Check out some of their albums because I thought the music was really, really fun in the film. And it's sort of something where in the background you think, oh, that's Hawaiian music. I'm like, wait a second. This is a cover of a pop song in a language I uh, in Hawaiian. It's something I'm not familiar with. And that was a, a real treat when my wife, Havana, and I went to uh, Maui on our honeymoon in Hawaii. We, uh, on the local radio stations there, we had a rental car, so we listened to the radio some they have stations of just like old-fashioned sort of Hawaiian music, and they still make contemporary music in or what I guess you'd call the Hawaiian style. I'm sure there's several 
genres within the main genre of Hawaiian music. But it was just a, neat just hearing the kind of music that's totally foreign, but in the, you know, still in, in the U.S. I don't know. Do you get what I'm getting I at? I think I do, yeah. But, it, like, they sound, the yeah. covers used in this movie sound fantastic. Oh, they do, yeah. Very cool. Um, so let's go into pitch a sequel. The hosts are wound up. So it's time to pitch a sequel. A sequel. A sequel. A sequel. A sequel. Our segment on Sequel Guest, where we pretend like there's a no sequels have or spinoffs have been made to the this film. In this case, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And we uh, spit out an idea of our own. I'll begin. I, if I was doing a sequel or spinoff to Forgetting Sarah Marshall, if I was producing it, I would simply call it A Taste for Love, and it would be a feature-length film version of the Dracula <laughs> puppet rock operas featured briefly at the end of the film. And um, I don't know if you... The thing I, I wouldn't sure is whether it would be filmed in a way where you see the cast members dressed up in Bunraku and black spandex, or if it'd be done like a Muppets film where the performers are all beneath the sets or controlling things with animatronics. Um, So I think it would probably be done for more with the, where you don't see the performers uh, moving the Muppets around. But I think a taste for love would be a very sort of funny, weird spinoff, totally different genre, taking it from romantic comedy and to sort of like, horror comedy musical vampire thing cool if i was to do a sequel i would do uh forgetting all the snow it would be it would be this Ooh, kind of okay. like post breakup movie but it would be told from the perspective of sarah marshall dealing with her inevitable breakup with aldous snow uh, when, when hmm, that's she finds out that he plans to cheat on her or to have sex with other people in the future, I guess it's not really cheating if you're completely open about it. But um, and and right. so so she has to deal with, you know, g- getting over uh, all this snow and seeing his face everywhere on the scandal sheets, and she also has to deal with uh with Pete Bretter, who's now become famous because of his Dracula rock opera, which is getting optioned for a movie. So they will probably run into each other in like at pitch meetings and stuff. And she's also trying to get her career back together because uh you know one of the the reveals that happens at the end of this movie is uh, towards the end of this movie is that we find out that crime scene scene of the crime has been canceled. Uh, and so, although yeah. we do see that like that uh, trailer for a new series about a uh, a, a pet psychic <laughs> detective, uh, yeah. like Animal Instinct, uh, and so part of it part of it will be her trying to get that show off the ground, and and it'll be pretty cool. We'll get to see them out in you know we'll get to see her out in L.A. You know, kind of on her own home turf. But now, would she by chance cheat on Aldous Snow with Jason Siegel? She would try to get back together with. Jason, I, there would be yeah. a brief moment where she would try to get back together okay. with Jason Siegel, but I don't think they would have. But no sex would happen; it just wouldn't work. But we, I would give, I would give, still give Pete Bretter uh, some sort of cameo. Cause, sure, because you know maybe that's the thing. Because maybe in the background of of forgetting Pete Bretter, Pete Bretter is making the movie version of A Taste for Love. Hmm. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Interesting. I think both of those are pretty interesting ideas for pitching sequels. And uh, now we move on to our final segment of the sequel cast. What, 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 what you watching? What you watching in which we talk about a piece of media, whether it be book, film, video game, TV show, whatever, that we've been enjoying over the past week. So, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Oh, well, this is actually, we've been talking about a Dracula musical. This is kind of apropos of yeah. that. Uh, as, as I've mentioned hmm. on a couple of previous episodes, I've been rereading a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, classic comic books from the, the 60s and 70s, and I'm really having a blast. And just this past week, uh, you know, I celebrated uh, my girlfriend Sarah Allen's birthday, and while I was, you know, doing nice things for her, I treated myself, and I got a uh, DC Showcase Presents the Witching Hour, which is a compilation of the first few years' worth of the Witching Hour comic book, which was a post-code horror anthology comic hosted by three witches. And i got to say, for being a, a code comic, 
they get away with a hell of a lot, which kind of shows you how pointless the comics code was in, in after the 1950s. But it's got... So this would have been... Would this have been before the Tales from the Crypt? No, no, this comics? was this was long after Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt ended oh, in the fifties. Okay. okay. This was uh, this was uh, the first issue. This was late sixties through the seventies, and uh, well, the, actually the first issue came out in uh, February of nineteen sixty nine, and it's got amazing art and stories by uh, by Alex Toth, Jack Sparling, uh, hmm. all sorts of. Uh, Amazing people. Some of you, some of you actually may know Alex Toth. He was the designer behind uh, behind Space Ghost. He designed most of the the characters. Oh, okay. For that, and he, and he does have an amazing style. And the the story the stories kind of range from the legitimately creepy to the hilariously cheesy. They it really covers the full gamut. And the host segments are are amazing. It's these three witches living in a castle with their monster Igor, a maiden, a mother, and a crone. Although the maiden is like a 1960s mod witch who, like, fr- frankly, like, looking at when this came out, I, I would believe that Elvira is based more on uh, Cynthia the mod witch than off of, uh, off of uh, Vampira, just, you know, based on what's in this comic. Because there's kind of a similar look, a similar attitude, except that uh, Cynthia doesn't have any... There's nothing Valley Girl about Cynthia. There's a certain level of sophistication behind her. Hmm. And and this and just this artwork, you know, is is amazing. And like I like they have a, like even the stories with the lamest like twist endings, they have a way of making those twist endings thoroughly entertaining, even when you see them coming a mile away. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, the ending of any of those sort of horror anthology comics is uh, are always pretty fun. They usually have some sort of twist in them. There, there are. They, it's not. Thankfully, there's not like a twist every time. They don't try to force twists, but I would say about half of them try to have one. Like the the uh, it's and some of them some of them are just bizarre. Like the one where like the abusive. There's like one about like a, a family with an adoptive adopted child being plagued by a poltergeist, and they try to return the child to the orphanage, but then the child's parents show up. Only it turns out the parents were angels who had left their child on Earth to to learn stuff, to learn something about about humanity, and they take the angel child back, and then the couple goes home, and the poltergeist stuff still continues. <laughs> And that apparently they're the sort like source for the poltergeist or something like that, and uh, and I like and I also like that there's a certain amount of like ghost hunting technical jargon that the witches use uh, to to sometimes sort of describe the setup for their tales. Also, um, there's a tremendous variety of art. Uh, not just because of the different artists, because a lot of them, including Alex Toth, really experiment with this. There's an amazing story called Computer, but it's it's computer with E R R, like in the the abbreviation for error. And remember, this is like I think this story was published in 1970. This was back in the day when you know the most sophisticated computers used punch card. So all of the uh, all of the captions are drawn so that they look like they're on computer punch card. And it really gives the whole, oh, whole weird. story a, a very interesting look. I mean, you know, the the medium is the message, and this that particular story completely gets that. Huh. No, I'll have to check that out. You know, something uh, I've been watching recently is uh, season five of Mad Men. Oh, yeah. Which I think is the most recent season. It just came out, and we uh, we rented it on Blu-ray, and we're still we're about halfway through it at the moment. Cool. And Mad Men is a show that I think overall is pretty good. Sometimes I find it kind of slow-paced and and boring, but so far this uh, fifth season has some how do you put it? This fifth season of the show. It seems to be a bit more comedic so far, although at some point Mad Men usually gets very tragic and depressing as the seasons go on. Is that on. the one where they travel back in time and find out about the H-bomb that's buried uh, under their office that keeps the dimensional fracture stable? No, no, that's uh, it's not that season, but it is a season where you have a, a five-episode story arc about trying to successfully pitch an advertising campaign for Heinz, for Heinz canned baked beans. Which is just very funny to see these very 
serious sort of pitches about baked beans and how to make it seem appealing in a magazine or, or commercial advertising. I, I'm just I'm having flashbacks to that Rex Bean ad from uh, Tommy. Yes, beans coming through the TV, that's, slathering Anne Margaret. An erotic scene. That's Anne Margaret at her bean-covered best. She's never been better. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! There you go. You have been you have been <laughs> saving up. That's actually a really good line. Yeah, that's uh, you know, uh, sequel cast listeners. I average one good pun every uh, ten episodes, so and uh, probably ninety bad ones. <laughs> so I think you know we've had some a pretty good discussion here oh, yeah. uh, over on sequel cast on forgetting Sarah. We've Marshall. made a lot of progress this session. I think so. And it's been a while since we've talked about a comedy. You know, I think the last time we talked about a franchise that was comedies was uh, maybe Caddyshack, or if I'm mistaken. Yeah, because we did that after Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, and if you want to check out, you know, those uh, classic episodes of Sequel Cast, uh, not only have we covered Smokey and the Bandit, but we've covered things like Lethal Weapon or Ghostbusters or Rambo or uh, Reanimator. Help me, which one I've been missing? I don't know. We can toss something else Flint. out there. There's the Muppets. Chinatown and the Two Jakes. Not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, those are uh, some of the more challenging episodes, I think. <laughs> uh, you can check them all out at SequelCast.com or even just look up SequelCast on iTunes. And if you look us up on iTunes or on the uh, podcast, the official Apple podcast app, there's several different ways you can subscribe to SequelCast. You can subscribe to all the SequelCast shows or just the individual ones, and you can check them all out, SequelCast, Sequel Commentary, and SequelCast Special at SequelCast.com. And, uh, of course, uh, thanks again for Mark with the C for the theme song. Oh, yeah. And uh, th- th- thanks to you, Thrasher, for doing the uh, the pretty new uh, sort of bumpers, oh, this, yes, the bumpers introducing the different the, segments. I, I have a thrill putting those together. Oh, fun. And... Also, uh, I want to say, you know, of course, Sequel Catch is a member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. You can check out all the other uh, Battleship uh, Pretension Fleet podcast shows at battleshippretension.com. For the Sequel Cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Saying. I try to believe it's going to get better. <laughs> You're an eccentric and confident young man. <laughs> That's me not being able to imitate Alder Snow or British accents in general. <laughs> All right, so tune in next week when we cover the. Uh, it's not a sequel, but it's a spinoff no, of Sarah. I will you, call you it a sequel? sequel. You think? Okay, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, called uh, "Get Him to the you Greek." Got it. Fo- thank you. Uh, you know that's all based on the further adventures of Russell Brand's character Alder Snow. Uh, curious enough, in that film, Jonah Hill, who had a small part in Forgetting Sarah Marshall that we as forgot to talk about, fan, yeah. as he says a fan, plays a totally different character. I, I like in, to imagine uh, that they're related. Get him to the Greek. Me too. Or even that it's the same character that got a name change. Sarah so Brand wouldn't and recognize him. And a soul him. change. We'll talk about... And a soul change. We'll, rec- <laughs> we'll talk about that next week on the sequel cast. Good night. And, Good night, uh, Mrs. Calabash, whoever you are. In a pookie, hey, cool.